Welcome to the Develop in the Dark podcast, brought to you by New Spring Church. We'll prepare you with biblical truths to help you meet the demands of your reality. In the final episode of season one, Brad and I are going to be talking about eschatology or end times. So much to talk about here. Uh, Brad and I are going to be giving an overview of the theology around all the things that are ahead for those who believe in Christ. We believe this is an important doctrine. It's one that we don't want to overlook as we develop in the dark. So we hope you enjoy today's episode. Brad, this is our final episode of season one. Get out of here. It really is. It's amazing. Man, let's let's just recap for a moment why we started this thing. What it is we've been trying to accomplish. A big part of our heart behind this podcast was that people were leaving the church, uh, younger people, and we wanted to offer uh, something that would be helpful as people develop. Yeah, you know, we say it every week, but we want you to develop in the dark, in the spaces and places that others don't see you are developing, you're being formed. And so we want you to be formed in the ways of the Lord. Mm. And so hopefully you're growing in wisdom, stature, and favor. You've got these questions that you're able to work through. And we have been the benefactors of lots of conversations and wisdom through the years. And we're just offering up synthetically synthesis of all that we have learned. And Trev, you've been a big part of my journey. I'm grateful for you, brother, and uh, just have enjoyed conversation. And hopefully, even as we get here to the conclusion of this, we can help our brothers and sisters as they're navigating whether they're in college or whether they're a mom and dad trying to talk about this in their home with their kids, Mm. a way by which that they can sink their teeth into something that is firm, that is true, that is real, that is foundational, and that they've been able to develop in such a way that the light inside of them would shine brighter than the light that's on them from the everyday life. And and we really are in discussions right now about season two and following. What's that content going to look like? And we want to hear from you. What are the questions that you have, the questions that you'd like to get into? We, we're we going to continue being a part of this, but we're we're going to invite some some guests on here, some yeah. different voices. And we've gotten and, some great uh, suggestions. You guys have been so, so, so uh, kind mm-hmm. out there in the social media space. So we're grateful for that. So keep that coming. Keep them coming in. We're and listening we're to looking, them. We're looking forward to what's next for us. As we wrap up today, we're going to be talking about end times. It's a super super interesting topic. And so many people are fascinated by end times, or the fancy word would be eschatology, which is just a a word that means last things. The study of last things. That's right. So, you know, in churches that maybe I grew up in, there was a, a lot of discussion about end times. And then as I progressed through uh, different church experiences, maybe that waned some, not as many people interested in the end times. And a lot of that shift in focus came because uh, we were looking at what's happening right now. Can we focus on what's right now and not just be all you know in the future? But maybe it's time to look again at some end times things and to address those things. Based on a, a person's personality, they could be more interested in, in end times. But for you and I and this podcast, we're talking about end times because it's super important for a 
person developing in the dark to understand the hope that we have in the future. Yeah, well, I mean, I know growing up, the very first thing I can recall about this subject in times was the phenomena called left behind. Right. And if you guys grew up in the 80s, 90s in church world, you didn't, well, you don't even have to grow up then. You've heard about these books that made their way into the, you know, the, the top of all book sales. I remember right. being with my mom and she's reading these books and I started reading these books and everybody was reading these books. And most people, I think, think in America, in Christian America, in the 80s and 90s, early 2000s, they were shaped by a end times theology or an end times perspective that was really informed by that perspective of the left behind books. That's right. And so most churches even grew up, and, and it was really because everybody was looking at the year 2000. You can remember this, mm-hmm. Y2K, Y2K, hello. And it was a thing. And people, what's going to happen? All of the computers are going to shut down. All the And everybody had this fear. Well, a lot of that came out of the Cold War as well. Right. As you're moving into the 80s and 90s, the Cold War, people thought the mutually assured destruction was going to happen. Well, and if you even look at right now, why is there even some reinvigoration to end times? Well, Russia's back in the news, Hmm. aren't they? Right. And so as that happens, people start to think about what's going to happen after this place Hmm. and what does end times look like? Right. We have a culture that loves what's called post-apocalyptic movies as well. And, we, you know, if you were to just sit and think about the post-apocalyptic movies, whether it be Mad Max or... Terminator. You know, yeah, a Book of Eli, Terminator, whatever. There are tons of those. And the idea that end times has to do with the collapse of civilization or whatever... You know, as I'm looking at at Scripture, you do see some pretty astounding things in the book of Revelation, but you also see a new beginning. Mm. So as you think about even the word apocalypse, socially, culturally, we think of it as the end, but apocalypse just means uncovering. The revealing. The revealing. Yeah. And right on the first pages of Revelation, it says the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, the unveiling. The revealing. So we're seeing him for who he, you know, in all of his glory. Yeah. As he comes as a babe in the manger, we're seeing this suffering servant. And in the second coming or the second advent of Christ, we're going to see him in, in full full flower and full pitcher. As the king. As the king. As the king, the conquering king. And here's one of the pieces that I think is so helpful. Like you might be thinking about this, like, you know, maybe this is you're into this or not, but it matters your view on in things because it actually affects the way you live out your Christianity today. today. And right. that that's probably the biggest piece for me that growing up with really one view and one view only of end times I did not see that the downstream consequence of that was a certain kind of lifestyle and a certain kind of living, a certain kind of way by which I go about my Christianity Mm. that was in some ways too robust in some areas, and it was super thin or maybe even non-existent in other areas, and I think that's a problem. And so that's why we want to talk about some of this today. It's emphasis, isn't it? That's right. And I I remember as I grew up and came through, there was some folks who overemphasized this, and they were all into... All the details, some people didn't look at it at all. And uh, we want to just look at it today and and hopefully untangle a little bit of it. Now, uh, granted, there's tons of mystery in this, and so we're going to be open-handed about a lot of this. As you consider how people have tried to tackle the mysteries that are involved in eschatology, it is a proclivity of human nature to try to make a system 
that everything fits in. Yeah, that's it? right. And uh, so that can be an oversimplification. Mm-hmm. It can be an oversimplification, and it also can cause you to drift away from other parts of Scripture that address a different aspect. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. A lot of this is related to terminology, and kind of the first word that we've already talked about is eschatology. We've talked about apocalypse, but the the word I'm thinking about right now is parousia. Well, that's one I didn't hear a whole lot of growing up. Right, but it is the word behind the coming of Christ, isn't it? It's like when uh, the New Testament talks about his appearance. That's the word, parousia. Right. It's the word parousia. And what I'm you know, getting at here is that no matter where you're at in the Christian world, what system or box you've placed yourself in to try to understand all, all this, every believer should believe in the parousia. The parousia that's of a, Jesus Christ, that's the right. king. The, the coming, the second coming of Christ, that there, there's going to be differences in timing yep. and what happens before and after. Am I pre, post, ah, bah, 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 right? But what we all can get around is that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back physically. This isn't some sort of spiritual thing that those who are in Christ are going to be raised up you know, to eternal life with Christ. Those who are not in Christ are going to be raised up to eternal life out without Christ in, in hell. But this bodily return of Christ is a reality, and, it, and we see it in the Scripture. So do we want to deep dive on that word parousia? Because I Let's think that the, helping understand the definitions, because people that are versed in this, they just flow with these words, and everybody's like, yeah, I understand exactly. But where does parousia come from? Mm. And parousia comes from the idea, it's a king word, by the way. It's Mm -hmm. a conquering word. Ah. You get it a lot. Uh, The best example I can think of in the Old Testament is when Saul and David are coming back from victory over the Philistines. Remember the, the song that the people are in the streets singing? Saul is slain his thousands his and David is ten thousands. Mm-hmm. That's the idea of a parousia. A, a rival. A rival a, or a, an arrival again. He's coming so, back. Like John the Baptist making the path straight. Yes. Way straight for the Messiah arrival. to come, the arrival, the right. parousia. So in the same way, you saw this all through Rome that people would come out and after, for instance, there would be in Roman days, there would be an earthquake. And then people would get a check from the Roman Caesar. Here, we're sorry about that. Here's some finances. And he would send his money to come and repair Thessalonica or mm. repair Ephesus. And then he would come to see how his money was spent. And mm. so you would have a parousia where you would literally meet the Caesar. Here he comes. He's coming in. And you would take him around town to begin to show him, hey, this, this collapsed, but this is what we did. You sent us these resources, and we rebuilt this amphitheater. We rebuilt this, this, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. so this is the idea of parousia, and this is the idea that Jesus gives us in the New Testament, mm. that there was a king who came, and that he has left, and he told us he's coming again, and he would be revealed, and we're going to get to walk with him in the new kingdom that we've been a part of, mm-hmm. helping take his resources and recreating. This is this is the picture I get from Perusia right. that's helped me understand what it means for him to come back again. It reminds me of Acts as they experienced the resurrection, but now here is the ascension of Christ back to heaven, and they're all standing around. And, and they, the angels. Right, yeah. yeah. And the angels come down and say, hey, why are y'all standing around looking? Men of Galilee, why do you look around into heaven? 
this Jesus that's been taken up, he's going to come in the same way you saw him go. It's specifically referring to this idea of him coming in the clouds, mm. which is reaching back to Daniel. Yes, it is. At, the son know, of man. Yeah, he's a cloud rider, whatever wow. that means, right? He's riding on the clouds, and here he comes back in. So in the same way that Jesus ascends into the clouds, we're going to see him return. And the Christian hope, Titus talks about the glorious appearing, the glorious parousia of our Christ. That we're Hebrews talks to. about as we see the day approaching. Right. We well, talk before. about that for a second. The day of the Lord. Isaiah uses the day or the day of the Yahweh or the day of the Lord. It uses that a lot. And that's brought into Thessalonians. It's brought into Hebrews. It's brought into all sorts of places. Talk about that a little bit. What is that referring to? Well, I just think you're talking about the, the judgment day, the final moment. And now here is the conquering king. He's coming back. He's returned. He's going to call us to himself. And then he is not, and I think this is one of the things I misunderstood, he is not calling us to himself to go away somewhere else. Mm. He's calling us to himself that we might come together into mm. his new creation. That's right. And so Thessalonians, you mentioned that. That's where the word parousia is. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that we'd be called up with him, the sound of the trumpet, this is the sound of a king. Uh, this is even playing back to the idea of, of uh, I think Joshua is a Old Testament example of this. So Joshua comes one time to the, the promised land. He comes a second time now, no longer as a spy undercover, but now he comes as a conquering leader. Mm. And he comes back to the city of Jericho with trumpet sound and the walls fall down and here he comes in to the new land. So this is a picture of what you see, I think, in Thessalonians. Yeah, that you're bringing up Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, causes me to think of, there's some controversial stuff around this. Yeah. Uh, Some things that people have disagreed over historically. Uh, Thessalonians 4 is one of those places, you know, you mentioned the Left Behind series, Thessalonians 4 is kind of the text that rapture theology is based on. So as we zoom out a little bit, you know, there's been two competing views of how biblical history works. One of those views is uh, it's called dispensationalist uh, or dispensationalism, and the other is a covenantal view. So I, I do think as you're wrestling with what the Bible says, it's important to know historically how those two camps have talked about biblical history. Yep. Dispensational, just the idea that there's been dispensations or the way that God deals with humankind. There's been seven or multiple ways that God has dealt with and interacted with humankind, beginning with Adam and Eve. In the Garden of Eden, there was a time of innocence. So he dealt with humankind in a certain way. And then from Adam and Eve through to Noah, there's a dispensation of, of grace and a, a way that he shows himself from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham to Moses, and so on and so forth. Contrast that with covenantal approach that is viewing the central figure as Christ in all of these covenants, whether it be a covenant with you know Abraham, Moses, Noah, David, all those folks, all these covenants point in some way to Christ. And there's been huge distinction between a dispensationalist approach and a covenantal approach. One big difference is in the dispensationalist view, Israel is kind of the main star. 
of the whole thing. And so you have God dealing with Israel, and then during the dispensation of the church age, which we're in right now, this is a dispensation of, of grace to Gentiles, but then human history is going to come back around to Israel and deal with Israel as well. The covenantal approach is a little different from that. If you visit Israel, which you and I have both been to Israel, folks in Israel call the covenantal approach replacement theology. They don't, they don't like that uh, covenantal approach because it replaces Israel with the church. And so as we move forward and we see these two giant buckets, there's tons of disagreement in how biblical history works. The dispensationalist is going to view, maybe, maybe have a rapture theology that carries people up and out before they experience the difficult times that Revelation causes tribulation. Uh, the covenantal folk, is not they're not going to believe in that, right? They're going to think that folks go right through those difficult times and have to endure to the end. So there's differences between Trev, both camps. Trev, you just did a fantastic job of laying that out, and uh, and I think probably helped some people with some language. Well. You know, and so uh, I, I will just add that the dispensational view was the view I was raised in, reared in. Most, most of the 90s left behind, that is the dispensational view, and I didn't know that there was any other hmm. views beyond that. And I will say this, that's a very modern view. Mm. Uh, when you look at church history, you're going to see that that dispensational view is just over 100 years old. None of your church fathers would have had that view at all. They would have said God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, mm-hmm. and he's working all of these things out through covenants. Right. And he's a new covenant, here's the new covenant, etc. Well, the, the dispensationalist view is trying to make sense of several things in Scripture. So, for instance, when you have a rapture theology that takes people out, you know, that essentially there's two returns of Christ. There's this kind of secret or hidden return where he's going to take the church out and then he's going to come back later to judge the earth. It's trying to make sense of the fact that as you read the text, Matthew 24, 25, the words of Jesus, it seems to be that his return is going to be immediate, sudden, People are going to be surprised by it, and then you flip over, and it looks like there's signs that are going to precipitate it. There's going to be all these things that you can measure and know that he's coming. And so in order to try to make sense of those two things that seem contradictory, you have people in history like Darby who come in and and try to weave that together. And then that thinking around rapture theology becomes popularized in certain Bibles like uh, an edition of the Schofield Bible, That's or right. a Ryrie Study Bible. That's now, right. Everybody's got That's this, right. and so every Baptist is looking through that. Now, I'm sympathetic toward it in the sense that I do see. In I the can text, understand it. Yeah, yeah, I can see in the text that's a problem to solve or att- at least attention to manage. But I personally don't see a ton of evidence around rapture unless you're going to read into 1 Thessalonians 4 some very specific things, how uh, it says we're going to meet him in the air and that that sort of thing. That is where the rapture theology kind of hinges on that scripture there. But, man, people who believe in the rapture, my father, you know, Tons of my family. Yeah, they're going to well, be in heaven with us one yeah. day. You well, know, and there's people that are hearing essential. this for the very right. first time, and you know, th- I mean, I remember because I was here. Right. What do you mean the word rapture is not in the Bible? I hope it's true. 
Yeah. Don't you hope that you're yeah, going to miss out on all the yeah. mess at the end? Of but, the, but the reality is, if you're hearing this, uh, friends, the word rapture is not in the scripture. Right. And, and everybody that's drawing that word comes from where you just mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4. Yeah. And, and if you understand the word parousia, which hopefully we've diagnosed and shown you, that you know many times folks come out to meet the king and you don't go away somewhere. You actually come back in right. to the kingdom. So, you know... And, Anyway, so it's just interesting, and we can add some folks here that are maybe uh, classic dispensationalists and classic covenantal folks, and you can right. you can deep you dive can, in this and yeah, listen to it. Plenty of books diagnose both of those and try to figure out a way forward. The thing that is attractive to me uh, about the covenantal approach is the emphasis on Christ. Yeah, and that in each covenant, it points be- to Him. Beginning with Adam, you see how the covenant's made with Adam, but He can't keep it. The covenant's made with Noah. He can't keep it. The, no, the covenant's made with Moses, uh, David, Abraham. Yeah, and Jesus comes to fulfill that covenant. He fulfills it, and so there's a there's an attractiveness to me about that. Having said that, it is very difficult to go to Israel and not come away with some feeling that God is still working in the life of ethnic Israel. And Romans 11 talks about that. So in the views, the two separate views. They almost are mutually exclusive, and I'm saying that there's got to be some way forward biblically that is a marriage of the two, but it is mysterious. That's exactly right, and we talked about this in previous episodes, to not fall for false dichotomies, and perhaps this is one, mm. that there's a way that there's a there's a both and. Uh, and so, you know, again, I think we actually, our, our words today in worship, we sing a lot of covenantal theology. We sing a lot of kingdom come, kingdom theology. Right. You'll hear this talked a lot more about uh, than maybe the way I was raised and growing up, where people were actually- kingdom is way out there. Right. That's right. Exa- It's here, it's now, and I'm a part of it. And, I'm act- and I think that's the downstream implication I didn't realize, is if you don't understand that there's a kingdom that's being worked on now, then you will actually think all I'm doing is I've got my fire insurance and I'm waiting on heaven one day, but my, my world in this 60 years of sanctification doesn't doesn't really matter. Right. But right. if you understand that there is something that God is working out, then my day-to-day grind at my job or my workspace or with my family is actually going to be building something that matters in the right. end. Right. And I love that. Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. You know, in the dispensationalist view, it seems like things are getting darker and darker and darker. In the covenantal view, it almost feels like the church wins at the end. You know, the Great Commission's finished, and there's a growing brightness. There's, there's a glory of God covering the right. earth as the waters cover the and seas. Could, could not yeah. both of those things be somehow simultaneously true? Right, is that you're going to see more and more darkness as you see a brighter and brighter day coming? Right, and it's going to be more obvious and distinct. Yeah, yeah. That's so beautiful. That's that's cool, man. Well, think about the some of the practical implications as you're developing in the dark and you're wanting to dive into this a little bit more deeply. What are some of the reasons we should care about this? You've talked about this a little bit already, but how we think about the future, it makes a difference in how we think about the now, in our urgency, in the way that we think about evangelism. What are some of those other ways that pop to your head? Like, why should why should we care about this? Uh, well, you know, again, I know we're in, I'm, I'm going to ask for charity and grace here, but one of the things that I recognize is if you only hold to a certain dispensational view, then you look at the, everything in the earth is getting worse and worse and worse, and you just have a negative view of all of life. It's almost like you're pessimistic about it all. Right. And and in addition to that, the way you do evangelism is almost overly simplistic because you're just trying to get people to pray a prayer so they don't go to hell, period, end of sentence. Mm. And so the way you have used salvation and soteriology is 
pray this prayer, don't go to hell. I'm not worried about your formation. I'm not worried about your discipleship. I'm not worried about what you do with the rest of your life. And I just don't think that that is the call of a shepherd. I don't think that's, that's the right. call of the church. It also doesn't have a view for my for my conviction for suffering. Mm. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna lean into this idea that I'm gonna be taken away from pain and suffering because of a quote unquote rapture, then I have no stomach for a suffering servant. I have mm. no stomach as a Christ follower for walking out the difficulties of life. Yeah, there's something about a preparation for persecution that may come. Uh huh in our current self-denial. That's right. right? And we all struggle with self-denial in some way. But Absolutely. But think about how self-denial now is preparation for tribulation No, that's and trial exactly right. So I say no to asceticism. I don't want to do that. I definitely say yes to comfort. Please give me all the yep. comforts. And I just think that there's a downstream consequence to that view. So uh, I think the, the more holistic view for me is to see that those things matter and I need to learn to suffer well. It doesn't mean I'm just going to be pessimistic, but I also understand that I can, I can make it through Christ and his hope will carry me and the church. And it is getting brighter and brighter. And so my view is the world is getting better and better in space. And I want to work towards those ends right. as I share the gospel, as I build the church, as I work with my hands and my mind and cultivate a fruitfulness in the life I live. That's so beautiful. Um, there was a, a way that early Christians greeted one another, and they they would say this word Maranatha, yeah, which is a an Aramaic word that just means Lord come, yeah, and uh, come Lord a, Jesus, yeah. What a and it, what it's right at the end of Revelation so it has this this word Maranatha at the end in Revelation, come Lord Jesus, and uh, what a beautiful thing to think about. No matter where you fall in this ideology of dispensational covenantal views of biblical history. One thing we can have in common is Jesus is returning, yep. and we hasten the day. In other words, we long for the day that he would return to bring justice, to make all things right, to take his bride, to be with him, to come and see a new heavens and a new earth uh, established. What an amazing thing. Maranatha, Trevor. Maranatha. Well, Brad, that's the end of season one for us. What a beautiful ride this has been, and I just want to thank you. Yeah, thank you, brother, and thank yeah. all our listeners that have uh, leaned in, and I hope you guys will continue to uh, pass along, You know, like, subscribe, comment, help us get the word out about these things. Our heart here is that folks would be able to grow in wisdom, stature, and favor, that they would be able to develop in the dark, that the Lord would be able to help them become brighter and brighter uh, as the world around them presses in. And so very, very grateful for our listeners for leaning in. So thankful. Looking forward to season two that'll be coming up. Just keep your your eyes open for season two. And uh, we're just so thankful for you as you develop in the dark. Thanks for listening to Develop in the Dark. We hope that today's episode will help the light in you shine brighter than the light on you.